Why should I believe that Jesus Christ has any special connection to the creator of the universe? That is a great question. My name is Sean Walker, and I want to welcome you to the Prepared to Answer podcast. You were just listening to Dr. Kirk Durston from Power to Change as he was talking at our Three Big Questions event in November, an online event for youth in the province. And Dr. Durston was with us to answer the question, if science points to a creator, how do we know that creator is our God, or better yet, the Christian God? Medical science provides lots of good evidence for believing that the existence of the universe is the result of a divine creator. But even if we can make that sound argument for that creator from the scientific evidence, is there any way of showing from the evidence that this divine creator is the Christian God who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ? We were so fortunate to have Dr. Kirsten with us in November at our Three Big Questions events for youth, and he lays out some very clear arguments for rationally justifying why we may believe that the divine creator, the one that science and facts points to, is the Christian God of the Bible. Kurt's spoken with us before at our How Can You Know conferences, and we are so fortunate to have him back with a PhD in biophysics and an MA in philosophy, and having been on staff with Power to Change for the past close to 35 years, Kurt is in an excellent position to be able to answer this question for our listeners. If you have any questions about what you've heard here on our podcast, we'd invite you to email us at info at preparedtoanswer.org, or you can visit our website, preparedtoanswer.org, or Instagram at preparedtoanswer, and we would love to talk to you. So we would just invite you to sit back and enjoy. You, you all know the question. Uh, just a little um, background as to the answer that I'm going to give you or the response. I have, um, you need to know that uh, this kind of response is something that I've given on many university campuses across Canada. It's, it's a response that has actually been put out there and subjected to a very critical review, you, you might say and uh, yet survives. And so I say that so that you will know that um, what I'm going to tell you tonight is not something I just made out of my back pocket, uh, you know, 10 minutes before the meeting here, but it's, it's been proven in, uh, in the line of fire. It's kind of like one of those things that's refined. Um, now to explore this question, there is a problem if you eliminate too many options all at once, even if the option you actually investigate turns out to be the right one. One of the problems of eliminating the other ones is that you never know for sure if any of the other ones might have also qualified or maybe even offered a better solution. So in order to explore this question tonight, I'm going to start with a very broad, I'm going to have two parts to it. The first part we'll look at, we'll start real broadly. And that is basically uh, we'll look at all the religions in the world as possible candidates, and then we're going to zero in on Christianity. And uh, I want to say that if you have any questions, please, please let me know, or please write them down. We'll do a Q&A at the end. And uh, questions are good to ask. I mean, some I've run into a lot of people who say, I'm afraid to ask the question. I'm not allowed to ask questions, that sort of thing. Well, uh, no, no, you can ask any question you want with regard to what I'm covering tonight. 
uh, I think it's good to be able to ask questions and hopefully get some sort of an answer. Let me begin with just uh, explaining one term that I'm going to use. It's called rational justification. And rational justification means that you have reasons to believe uh, that, or there are good reasons for a belief or for taking that belief as being true. Uh, and those reasons are good enough such that competing beliefs may have reasons, but they're not as good or solid reasons as the one that you that you wind up with the belief that you choose to believe so basically it is not proof it's very difficult to prove things in this world other than in mathematics and maybe logical arguments but it's rational justification meaning you got some very good reasons to believe uh, that for example the creator who of the universe is actually the the god of the bible so that's what i'm going to try and do here today and uh, it's also worth pointing out that sometimes, like I always say to people, look, I'm not giving you, I'm not proving that this is true. I'm merely giving you some rational justification that it is true. And I hope that that rational justification is strong enough such that this will be the most rational position to take in the end. Doesn't mean you don't have evidence for something else, but the evidence for your belief uh, is even stronger still, or even better still, or better quality evidence. Now, one of the things I do run into is uh, a, a lot over the years are skeptics who would say, okay, that was very interesting what you presented. I do concede that you did give some rational justification for what you believe, but you didn't prove it. And therefore, they're going to remain a skeptic. Well, um, key, my response to that is, well, actually, can you rationally justify your skepticism in light of what I've presented? You can't just simply say, well, I choose to be a skeptic or I choose to believe that God is the creator of the universe. I mean, you can say those things, but if someone challenges you on them. You don't just respond by saying, well, I choose to believe that. It's good to give reasons for the things that you believe. And the skeptic is in the same boat. So uh, I, I've met a lot of people who think it's cool to be a skeptic and they're just a skeptic for the sake of being a skeptic. But if you're having a good conversation with somebody, you might graciously ask, well, can you rationally, just, rationally justify your skepticism in light of uh, the reasons that I've presented here for God perhaps being, or Jesus being the son of God or Christianity being true or God existing? So that's in the notes, and now I want to start with the first section, the broad section, and the, that looks at the world's religions. So the question I'm looking at here is, has the Creator reached out to us through one or more religions? We're, well, what we basically are going to do is let's take all the religions in the world, all the ones that you like to consider, and let's imagine that we're at a buffet, except it's not food, it's religion. So you spread all the religions out on the table and you can choose one or you can choose several. We're, we haven't figured out how many to choose yet. But what we're really interested in is the question of, is there any reason to believe that one or more of these religions on the buffet table here are, uh, are actually true or more specifically, that they have information or that they point to that they're the God of those, those religions is actually the creator of the universe. 
So there's an assumption here. Why are we even talking about religion all of a sudden? We just started off with a question, how do we know our God is the one creator of the universe? And so why are we looking at religions all of a sudden? Well, here's why, and it's, there's an assumption that I am making. And the assumption is this. We know like that logic dictates that whatever it was that created nature, and where nature is the entire universe, has to be not natural. In other words, just as a woman cannot give birth to herself, so nature could not have given birth to itself. It has to be something that was not natural, or we have a word for that, supernatural. So the real question is, do any of these religions give indication that they come from a supernatural source, and perhaps the god or gods of those religions is the supernatural creator of the universe? So that's the kind of the assumption and the question that we're looking at. So, and this question can also be, uh, this approach can also be handy when your friends ask you, well, how do you know which religion is true? So here's what I would say. First of all, if you do have notes, it's we're on number two now. The first one was to, first point, spread all your religions on the table. Point number two is to ask yourself three questions about each religion. Three questions. So question number one is this. Why should I believe that the founder of this religion had any special connection to the creator of the universe? So we have founders of various religions. We have Joseph Smith from Mormonism, for example. Um, we have the founder. We have uh, Siddhartha Gautama as the founder of Buddhism and so forth. We have a lot of different religions, and we have a founder or a group of founders. And uh, we're interested in why should I believe that the founder or founders of these religions had any special connection to the creator of the universe? Because if we cannot, and basically we're asking, what's the rational justification here for believing that your religion has any special connection to the creator of the universe? So that is exactly what you're looking for. So you can ask that question. You can ask it of, say, someone who practices that religion, or you can ask it of, in, of yourself and then do your research. Uh, quite a few years ago, uh, I was part of the, uh, U, the Christian ministry at the University of British Columbia, and we thought we'd sponsor a formal debate, time debate, each speaker gets equal time. And we had Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Christianity, and that was the question. Why should we believe that your, it was slightly altered, it was why should we believe your religion is true, but really it was asking this aspect of things. So you have all these religions on the table, you ask yourself, why should I believe that any of these religions is true? And if that religion has little or no rational justification for thinking that it's probably connected to a supernatural source, the supernatural creator of the universe, then you have no reason for putting that on your short list, for example, your short list of possible religions that might be connected to the creator of the universe. So you can actually eliminate all those religions that don't have any reason to believe they're true or to believe that they're connected to the creator of the universe. Now, I should point out that it does not logically follow that because a particular religion has no reasons to believe it's true, that therefore it's false, that would be a mistake. Uh, all you can confer from that is if the religion provides you with no reasons to 
assume that it's connected with the supernatural creator, then you can infer from that that um, there's no rational justification for taking it seriously, okay? And therefore, you can move on and look at some other religion. So that's the first question. What rational justification do I have for thinking that the founder of this particular religion had any connection with the creator universe? Question number two, why should I believe that the holy book for a particular religion contains information that came from a supernatural source? So in Christianity, we have the Bible. Uh, they have the Book of Mormon. We have a, a different holy books. We have the Quran for Islam, different holy books for different religions. And um, we're interested in if, if we want to take religion seriously, we need some rational justification here. And uh, usually uh, the religions, a lot of the religions, they're, they're pretty much their main core beliefs are in their holy books. So you need to know if there's any reason at all to, to believe this holy book is connected to the supernatural creator of the universe. And if there's nothing unusual here that would give you some at least one good reason for believing that the holy book is connected to the supernatural, then once again, you have no reason to put that religion on your short list as you move down the buffet of religions as you're surveying them all to see which ones might be true and which ones you can just set aside. So that's the first two questions. Number one, why should I believe the founder has any connection with the supernatural creator? Number two, why should I believe the holy book of that religion contains information that would have come from a supernatural creator? Those are the two key questions to ask. And I've often been asked that at, on university campuses when I'm speaking uh, on a particular outreach. That is a very common question. How do I know which religion is true, How, you know, all of them. And some people will infer because there's so many different religions, none of them is true. Well, that's a mistake. You cannot infer that because, let's say, there are a lot of different hockey teams, that therefore there is no such thing as the best hockey team. And in the same way, you cannot infer that uh, there's no such thing as a true religion simply because there's a bunch of them. There's one last question to ask, and these aren't the only questions you could ask, but these are the ones I'm suggesting you ask when you're looking at this buffet of religions and trying to figure out which ones or one, if any, might be associated with the supernatural creator of the universe. So the third question is this. When you look at the God or gods of a particular religion, is uh, there anything... Are they fairly easy to describe and understand and explain? Or are they highly unusual? And the reason that this is such an important question to ask is that if, if you're inventing a religion, uh, the last thing, it would make no sense to invent a religion that has a God that you actually can't explain to people. That would be a really bad start for your invented religion. It's pretty hard to get a following if you're trying to invent a religion and you can't even explain your God to somebody or they can't understand it. So, or conversely, if there is a creator of the universe, and that's what we're interested in here tonight, we are talking about a being who is the origin of all the laws of physics, quantum mechanics, for example, 
the or like if you have ever studied science and you've been a little boggled down of these equations and how to derive them and whatever well that's nothing compared to if you have to invent all the laws of physics from scratch such that when they're all up and running everything works and you've got this amazing universe with uh, unbelievable amount of interest intricacy and complexity and you also we know now from physics you can't just plan something and then hope it works you also have to invent time because time is a physical property of the universe as well so we're talking about a being here that's really unusual um, one of the things that i just um, run into a lot is the assumption that uh, you know we should be able to understand god we, we should be able to explain why he does things and, and this that and the other thing and um, i think that's a pretty massive assumption for just some little beings who live on a tiny little planet in a very average galaxy in a local cluster of galaxies in a vast universe consisting of millions of galactic clusters that we should think we should be able to understand the mind of the creator or be able to explain the creator to other people now the good news and this is a little bit of a spoiler here is that uh in the second part this creator of the universe has actually interacted with us and so we're not totally lost when it comes to this question but here is this a mark of authenticity of a true religion of a of, of a religion that might be actually where the god is actually the real one the creator of the universe is that you might just expect to have a um you might predict that that god will be a little difficult to explain and understand but if you can explain and understand the god or gods of a particular religion on this buffet table of religions then that's actually not a good thing that's actually a stroke against it in fact it's highly suspicious that god originated in a human mind and that's why it's totally explainable and understandable by a human mind and that's very important uh, years ago uh, at the university of manitoba i was asked by a, a young muslim woman to explain the Trinity. And uh, I started off by saying, first of all, uh, one of the marks of a human invented religion is a God that you can understand and explain. But a mark of authenticity for the real one is that we just might have a very difficult time, you know, understanding this or explaining it. Now I realize there are attempts to explain the Trinity and so forth, but uh, my point is this, is that just for question number three here, if they have explainable gods and they and they have no other reasons for believing the holy book is as amazing or the founders of the religion had connected with the supernatural creator if they they score zero on those first two questions and the third question comes along and they got a just an explainable understandable god then you really have no rational justification for thinking that the god or the gods of that religion are um are the create supernatural creator of the universe it's more likely that they have originated within a human mind so uh what do we find now when i i have talked to literally thousands of university students one-on-one -on -one and had good conversations of many different religions and i've this subject has often come up like how do you know that your religion is true and i would often ask that how do you know you're on the right track because the stakes are pretty high here. So it is important that you know you're on the right track. Well, one of the most common responses is that I just feel that it's true. Um, I just feel that I'm on the right track or 
I have had religious experiences and so forth. Well, the problem with that is that um, feelings does not do not constitute rational justification for thinking the religion is true. It might be a good thing, but unfortunately, we have countless beliefs in the world today. You only have to go online. You just imagine a belief, punch it in, and chances are there's people who believe that, whatever it might be. And many of those people feel that they're right. They have, they feel confident that they're right. And yet, when you look at these beliefs, they're mutually incompatible. They're mutually contradictory. They cannot both be true. And um, so in the case of the world religions, they have core beliefs that are mutually contradictory. For example, Christianity says God is a triune being. Islam says, no, that's false. God is a, is a single being. He's a unified one being. There is no trinity. Um, as uh, Hinduism might say, well, actually, there are an enormous number of gods, whereas Islam and Christianity and Judaism says, no, there's not an enormous number of gods. That's false. There's only one. So you can't have both true. You cannot have it true that there are an enormous number of gods. And the other religion says, no, there are not an enormous number of gods. There's only one. That's a mutually contradictory belief. So feelings actually fail as a reason, uh, as, a, as a rational justification for believing that your religion is true just feelings by themselves. You should have something else. Otherwise, it's just a total blind leap in the dark, which is unfortunately what a lot of people do today. Okay, uh, so what do we find? Feelings, feelings do not cut it simply because everybody has feelings and everybody believes they're true. The only other religion, and this is after years of discussing this with, with people who follow these various world religions and having two formal debates at UBC on this very question, the only other religion that was offer, able to offer anything at all was Islam. And Islam, I have heard it said more than once that uh, the Quran, like Moha the Muhammad who was actually illiterate, he could not read or write, yet the Quran is beautiful poetry. Well, that's impressive, but uh, one does not need to be able to read or write to produce beautiful poetry. In fact, we have examples of human genius in many different fields, in, in, in uh, literature, in poetry, in music, and so forth, that are just astounding to everybody else, but we cannot infer from that that therefore this person speaks for God simply because they have the ability to produce beautiful poetry. And that was the best I heard of all the world religions on the buffet table was this. And to me, that was not sufficient rational justification. It might be rational justification for coming to the conclusion that Muhammad was, was talented, that he had an ability to, to create beautiful poems. It might justify that. But to say that, therefore, um, the God of the Quran is the creator of the universe, well, that's a, I'm going to need some more, I'm going to need something that we know humans can't really do. There's not really examples of humans doing, and examples of human genius are, you can actually go on YouTube and see some unbelievably, amazingly talented people that even when they're five years old, they can do amazing things, play music, uh, whatever it might be, or sing. 
So when we ask those three questions that I have just posed, what we find is that the shortlist contains only one religion. Now, now a skeptic might say, yeah, right, I saw this coming. <laughs> you know, he's a Christian, he's eliminated all the other, and there's only one. But those three questions need to be asked of Christianity, and that's exactly what we're doing in part two. So I cannot, it does not simply fly, say with your friends, to simply assert that none of the religions can provide original, uh, rational justification except for Christianity. They're going to lean forward and say, well, okay, how would you answer those three questions? So let's take a look. Let's move into part two and take a look at those. Why should I believe that Jesus Christ has any special connection to the creator of the universe? And, um, well, first of all, we know that, in fact, the, the full consensus of scholars in the field, whether the atheist, agnostic, non-religion, and so forth, in the academic field of New Testament studies, they do agree that Jesus made claims that he was the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. We have the New Testament documents where he actually claimed to be the one who is I am, the God who created the universe. And of course, the people reacted by thinking he was blaspheming. So that by itself doesn't provide rational justification for believing, oh, okay, then the Christian God or Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. It does not provide justification for it. But when you look at other world religions, there's not a whole lot out there where the founder actually claims to be God, the creator of the universe. That's, uh, this Christianity is unusual in that sense. But we can ask him, why should I believe? So Jesus is the founder, and the first question of Christianity, and the first question is, why should I believe that the founder of Christianity had any connection with the supernatural creator? And I offer you two things here, two reasons, two lines of rational justification. Number one is that he fulfilled ancient prophecies concerning the Messiah or concerning the Christ that had been made centuries or even thousands of years before he came. Now, I have talked to a lot of students about this who might not know anything about Messianic prophecies. They're not even sure what the Bible is or what it says. So I do have to explain that the Bible comes in two sections. There's an old section and a new. And the full range of scholars unanimously grant that the Old Testament was written before the time of Christ. No one would dispute that. But that's important because the next thing I communicate to the person is that the Old Testament actually contains many ancient prophecies pertaining to the Messiah. So you can even start with the assumption that the Old Testament is just myths and fairy tales. But one thing you must concede, and it is generally conceded, is that the Old Test, this, old, this collection of so-called myths and fairy tales actually sets itself up for verification or falsification by making statements about the future coming of the Messiah that will either falsify it or verify it. And the amazing thing is that Jesus Christ actually fulfilled those ancient prophecies, but two kinds of prophecies here. First of all, they were the obvious prophecies. And there were, for example, when the Magi went to see the king, he called the Jewish scholars and he said, uh, you know, where's the Messiah coming from? They said Bethlehem. That was a prophecy from Micah. And that was written long before the time of Christ that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and will have existed from eternity past. Quite the interesting prophecy there. The, the book of Daniel prophesied exactly when the, pro the Messiah would come. 
We're also pro uh, told that the Messiah in the Old Testament would descend from David, of the seed of David, and so forth. These are obvious prophecies, and the amazing thing is that there's no other example in human history, none at all, where you have an ancient set of documents making very specific claims about the future that came precisely true. Now, some people might mention, say, Nostradamus, for example, but um, I've read Nostradamus's so-called prophecies. I think there was a lot of plagiarism going on between Nostradamus and the book of Revelation and the New Testament, but um, there's not there, and they're not very specific. So there's a lot of room for interpretation when it comes to Nostradamus. In, in some of these messianic prophecies, they're very specific. So number one, we have a person, Jesus of Nazareth, founder of Christianity, who claimed he's the creator of the universe, specifically I am. And he, when we ask him, why should we take your claim seriously? Why should we believe this founder is associated with anything unusual? He can point out to thousands or basically prophecies made centuries or even thousands of years before he came that everybody knew about, or at least the scholars knew about, that he fulfilled against impossible odds. But there's another kind of prophecy that he fulfilled as well. These are what I might call the enigmatic prophecies or the mystery prophecies or the unexpected prophecies. What these are, is these are statements in the Old Testament about the Messiah, but when they were given, the people of the day would have probably had no clue what they're talking about. For example, in the book of Zechariah chapter 11, it talks about a time when God would be valued at 30 pieces of silver, that money would be thrown in the temple and go to a potter. People would say, what in the world is he talking about here? That doesn't make any sense. What but when Jesus came... He fulfilled these sorts of prophecies as well. Another example would be Psalm 22, where you have somebody hanging with his hands and feet pierced, and Psalm 69, and they're giving him gall to vinegar to drink and casting lots for his garments a thousand years before the time of Christ. And the people of the day would have read this, because they didn't even have crucifixion in Israel at that time, a thousand years before the time of Christ. They'd have read this and said, what? Uh, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It must be some fancy figurative stuff going on here. But Jesus fulfilled those, and here's the kicker. In science, in archaeology, in history, there's a whole range of academic fields that if you have a theory and you test that theory and it comes true or it's verified, and it also explains a number of other things that you did not even know had anything to do with this, in the academic world, that rises to a whole new level of credibility. And so what I'm pointing out here is that there are many of these mystery or enigmatic statements in the Old Testament that even if you're trying to fulfill the, the prophecies as a fake Messiah, it wouldn't even occur to you to fulfill those. But along comes Jesus. He not only fulfills those pro the known prophecies, but he fulfills a number of all these ancient mystery statements and suddenly that adds a whole new layer of credibility to his claim to be God. Okay, uh, the second line of evidence I would offer, the second reason to believe that I think the founder of Christianity was telling the truth when he claimed to be the creator of the universe, was that the historical evidence seems to indicate that Christ physically rose from the dead on the third day. Uh, and I think that's a pretty big topic. Uh, it's, pro it's worth its own session. I can't remember if that's covered or not, but if it isn't, I'm sure Scott will ha has other resources to do that. Um, it, 
I think I'm just going to leave that at there, but I do provide some reasons in the notes, some additional reasons to take that seriously. Okay, so um, the next question is, why should I believe the Bible contains information that came from a supernatural source? Remember, the second question is, for the world religions on the buffet table, why should I take these holy books seriously? My response to that with regard to the Bible is this. It is the only book in human history that set itself up for either verification or falsification by making statements about the future pertaining to the Messiah, and those statements came true. That is, I think when you're raised in Christian circles, you just kind of take this all for granted. But if you were space sailing that landed on the planet here and you started to do some research, you would say, that is amazing. This this is unique in human history. And uh, sometimes I don't think we appreciate just how unique that is. The amazing principle of making predictions that can be falsified or verified, which, by the way, is a keystone in science. And we see that same principle is used here to, ver to say that the Bible needs to be taken seriously. Now, why should we believe that it's connected with the supernatural source? Here's the reason. In order to make statements about the future, it has to, the information has to come from a source that either transcends time or already knows what the future is. In either case, we have very good reason to believe, well, that, that's a supernatural source, bottom line. In order, a supernatural source is able to provide information from the future to the present when they were writing the Old Testament about the future coming of the Messiah. Or that source transcends time. One of the two. But the interesting thing is, is that the creator of the universe has to be the origin of time itself. Since time is a physical property of the universe, which means that that's exactly a sign that points to the creator of nature itself. That we're looking at a source, an information source here, that seems to have some dominance or some authority over time itself. Last point. Is there anything unusual about the Christian God? And, of course, I alluded to that a little bit earlier. All the religions in the world, and I have I've not run into one religion in the world that didn't have a very simple, easily, easy to explain and understand God, except for one religion, and that is the Trinity. And it's been painfully obvious to me because I've often been asked to explain the Trinity. And I've read many articles on that. And I think the Bible actually gives us a lot of understanding about the Trinity, but the bottom line is this, is that that is a mark of authenticity. That if the God of Christianity is actually the supernatural creator of the universe, one of the things we predict about the creator of the universe is this is going to be an amazing being. It's not going to be something you can just come up with a, a quick explanation. Oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, that perfectly explains this and that, or why he would do this, or why he would do that. No, we're, we're dealing here with a being that is... That is basically beyond our ability to fully explain yet, as I suggested at the beginning. He's actually gone a step further, stepped into space and time, stepped into human history, become a human being, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so that he can actually make himself known to us. And to me, that's, that's the most amazing thing of all, such that if we put our faith in him as to who he is, that he is God, that he's the one who wipes away and makes us our sin and makes us pure in the sight of God and offers us eternal life, that if we put our faith in him, we can actually know God. 
Now it's going to take us all eternity, but we're actually beginning that relationship right here. So that concludes my presentation. Um, motored through that fairly quickly. I, I have a handout, but now I'm depending on you to raise the questions on whatever you think needs clarification. Thanks, Kirk. That was, uh, that was great. Um, so for everyone out there, if you have uh, questions for Kirk, please put them into the chat. Uh, if you want me to unmute you, I can do that as well. But, uh, but yeah, uh, great talk. I, lo I love the analogy of the buffet table, Kirk, that, uh, that gives a visual of, uh, I think, probably where the question's coming from right is we see so many religions and social media and we're, we're uh we have so much into our face that you know what is right what is that god that that's creator and so to take a look at them in the way that you've done that's that is awesome okay we have a question where would you put atheism in the buffet well um atheism is kind of not making the same claims as all the other religions on the buffet table in fact it's kind of making the opposite claim it's actually stating that none of these religions are true that or more specifically there is no god or there are none of these gods that actually exist that's where i put atheism on the buffet table or that's where i would classify atheism let's put it on another table behind the buffet over here you got your buffet here you got atheism over there so all of a sudden I hear this dissenting voice behind me from atheism on the other table and I turn around. There are questions, the, the most important question that I would ask of atheism is this, how can you rationally justify the belief that there is no God? Now I usually pause there because I want to hear that, per I want to understand them because there will be a variety of reasons they might put out. And you shouldn't just start spouting reasons why there's a God when, in fact, you haven't heard the person in the first place to see what they might say. I've had all kinds of reasons. I, I ran into a very militant, angry atheist once, and after about 45 minutes, I could see this. I'm getting nowhere with this guy. He just seems to have no appreciation for the rational evidence I'm presenting. And I said, how come you're so angry at a non-existent God? He said, because my mother died when I was six years old. That's his reason for believing there is no God. So you got to remember this, that it's not always an intellectual objection. It can be a very powerful emotional one. But the most common objection is, well, there's no evidence for God's existence. And uh, so my, uh, my response is, because I, 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 and there is, this isn't a, this is not a debate. This is not a contest. This is a, a good conversation. And you should be able to go away from that conversation. The atheist really enjoyed that. I just had a, a text from an atheist two days ago uh, to illustrate what, what, what I mean here. He says, hey, I was talking with, about you tonight with a friend. We are both atheists from different backgrounds. And I was telling him of a Facebook friend who's religious with his posts and gives me joy more than many I used to see from the same gang. Love your photos and posts. All the best. That's what you want to aim for. You want the atheist to, to say, I like talking to this person. So how you ask the question is important. But the question I would ask the atheist is, I don't say, well, so what's your rational justification? That's a little, that's a little too aggressive, maybe. I would say, so why do you believe there's no God? Well, there's no evidence. So I would often ask, so how do you explain the origin of the universe exploding into existence out of absolutely nothing? And then I wait for the answer. 
most people will have no answer whatsoever. And I would say, well, you see, the reason I ask that is because just as a woman, we know that nature had a beginning. That is, that we can prove that with mathematical certainty due to the properties of infinite sets. And, and that's another, you can go to my website. I got an article on that. I think kirkdurston.com was written on my notes, maybe. But anyways, um, we know a certainty the universe had a beginning, including time itself. So what caused that? Just as we know that a woman cannot give birth to herself, so we know that nature cannot have given birth to herself. We only have two options. Number one, there's a natural explanation for the origin of nature. Number two, there is a non-natural explanation for the origin of nature. But logic removes the natural explanation, logically impossible, for a woman to give birth to herself or nature to give birth to herself. And we only have two options. And one option is logically impossible. The, uh, the option that remains, no matter how much they have difficulties with it, has to be true. And therefore, we can show with, that's the closest thing to a proof I've ever, and I've, I've laid this out on many university campuses, and it really, it really has a pretty good impact on it. But it's, Logic dictates there's a supernatural creator of the universe. So in light of that, can you rationally justify your atheism? And that's how I would start the conversation. This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at preparedtoanswer. Or contact us directly by email at info at preparedtoanswer.org. May the Lord bless and keep you.